Hello everyone and welcome back to the Aviation Spotters Podcast. I am your host, Colin. Today's episode, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Today, I'll be talking with my guest about his time when he deployed with the 391st Fighter Squadron, the Bull Tigers, in 2012 as a crew chief, and how he also got into aviation and his photography. So it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. DJ Davis. DJ, how you doing? Yeah, what's going on, CJ? Nothing much, man. You know, it's winter here again, here in the great state of Idaho. Oh man, you got you got to take it with a you got you just got to take it as it comes though, because this time last year it was scorching hot and the foothills did not look this green. No, I agree. This is a lot more greener than normal than what we're used to out here, huh? Oh yeah, I mean it's global warming that's happening though, so yeah. But. You know who am I? I'm not no uh, meteorologist, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was interesting though because I did when I was at Jackson Jet Center once they had these airplanes that um, I think they were King Airs and they had like little flares on the under the wings and they said they would deploy the flares over the mountains in certain conditions and it'll make it snow. No shit. Yeah, like this. <laughs> Yeah, so we can definitely, yeah, we can talk about that a little bit later on, but yeah, yeah man. <laughs> just had to throw that out there. I thought it was ironic. It was snowing up at Bogus, but it's June. Dude, seven inches yesterday, like, man. Yeah, we could definitely go hit the slopes after this. We might be able to, <laughs> seriously. All right, man, let's give us a little background on yourself. You know, where you're from, what else you like doing, how you got into photography, and what are your other hobbies? Well, uh, I am from the great city of Washington, D.C., about 2,500 miles away from Idaho. <laughs> yeah, I'm an Air Force veteran. I used to be a F-15E Strike Eagle crew chief, and that's actually what brought me to Idaho from D.C. And I started photography way back when, in like 2007. Like I, bought, I had like a summer job, and I bought a, uh, a little Casio point-and-shoot camera. And I was just taking that everywhere, like in high school. I was taking that everywhere with me. And then I was also interested in aviation and military, and I stumbled across the Civil Air Patrol. So I joined the Civil Air Air Patrol as well when I was in high school and our one of our commanders he was into photography and we went to uh, Arlington National Cemetery and did the reef laying uh, what was it called like the, the reef the leaf laying uh, sorry I'm getting tongue-tied That's <laughs> the okay. reef laying service that they do every year and he had gave me his Canon uh, DSLR and he was like you know, you've seen you're into photography. Why don't you just, you know, this is how you release the shutter. This is how you, you know, change different modes. You know, go around and see what you can get. And I was like, all right. And from there, it's like, well, it, like everything just kind of felt natural to me. Like the shots I was able to capture, learning about the depths of field and the rule of thirds. Um, that was kind of like, you know, my first introduction to getting my hands on the camera. But then in high school, my high school, I started a magazine class called Friendship News Network because my school is called Friendship Collegiate Academy. Mm -hmm. So FN, it was FNN for abbreviation. So Friendship News Network came about into my high school. You know, I was able to get my hands on a Nikon DSLR. And from there, it's just like I fell in love with it. And I got in really good with the uh, with the instructor and she pretty much just would let me take the camera home and let me take it everywhere and take oh, it out on cool, weekends and even throughout the summertime she would lend it out to me with a couple of different lenses so uh since i was also big into air shows and stuff everything just kind of fell into place as a, as a young kid for me i guess it was just uh, being at the right place in the right time yeah man no for sure that that's really cool that your teacher 
let you take the uh, the cameras home and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's that's saying that she saw something in you. And uh, after seeing your work, man, I think that she was right. That's really cool that you're being a part of the stuff at Arlington during that time and being in uh, Civil Air Patrol. Yeah, and that was something I was almost joined to see cadets, honestly, <laughs> beforehand, wow. because I mean, when I was a, my uncle took me to my first air show when I was like seven years old and I saw the Thunderbirds at Andrews Air Force Base. And I was like, no, that's that's definitely what I want. Like, I, I, I fell in love with either wanting to be a pilot or somehow being evolved in aviation somehow. And, yeah. and we'll get to that later on about how you got into all that. But just real quick, what are your other hobbies? Uh, other outside hobbies, of photography. Uh, outside of photography, um, I love hiking. I love adventuring and traveling. Like there's just there's like a a rush I get just going through TSA and hopping on a plane and going to either you know rather it's going to be Los Angeles or Las Vegas or Seattle or even if it's just even if it's across the country to Washington DC it's, it's something exciting about these trips just just going through TSA getting on the plane taking off just adventuring somewhere new or somewhere where I haven't been in a while I get that same feeling too man so I completely agree with you on that one yeah just you're going somewhere new you get to see something different experiencing different cultures and it's always a great time doing and, it. and make some new friends too along the way no, absolutely and every, even though absolutely. everyone's not your friend but you know make an associate exactly people you get to know but yeah but traveling i also fell in love with snowboarding out here and i love cars I used to i used to drag race and stuff as well oh nice oh uh, yeah so i got a handful of different hobbies i do yeah so i got a new mercedes huh <laughs> It's a lease. Nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's actually, uh, it was a birthday thing. It was just a birthday rental. Along the hobbies of, I guess, being an auto enthusiast, um, I love renting luxurious, luxurious vehicles when I travel. Oh, dude, who doesn't? Yeah, and if you look through any of my like Instagram highlight videos, you'll see like I've had Teslas, I've had Mercedes, BMWs, Alfa Romeros. Just, yeah, so that's part of the, the thrill of, of what I like to do is just, you know, driving these these vehicles that I really can't, you really, well, I guess I, you you could afford them but you don't want to put yourself in that financial hole not just yet oh yeah agreed so anyway man let's move it on to this next question so you say you're with a uh, civil air patrol so i'm assuming that kind of propelled you to get into the military then yeah that was uh pretty much like my first stepping stone and how I kind of knew for sure that the Air Force was the way I was going to go uh, while I was in high school. And even while, I was, so while being in the Silver Patrol before then, uh, my high school had, it wasn't ROTC. It was uh, similar. It was this program called Leadership. And it was, I'm trying to figure out the easiest, the, the way to compare it because we, it was like ROTC, like how it's kind of like a military prep in a way, but it's also, it was more of like a preparation for kind of just leadership in general, rather it'll be you know you be end up being like a supervisor somewhere or you're in a type of job where you have to like you know help make decisions with customers and stuff um it's not necessarily for those who want to join the military just those who just wanted to get a sense of leadership and we had like a rank and like a ranking structure um like we wore uniforms and have fatigues and dress greens and stuff and, but yeah so from silver but yeah silver air patrol was definitely uh my reassurance for going into the Air Force because my uncle, like I said, my uncle took me to my first air show, showed me the Thunderbirds, went around to all the different stag displays. And then as, at the dawn of the internet, being like in junior high school as, as uh, AOL came about, <laughs> 
Uh, we were, I was definitely on airforce.com and like navy.mil and blueangels.com, you know, just watching all these cool videos and looking at all these cool photos of all these different jets and airplanes. But yeah, Silver Air Patrol. And once I came about learning about the Silver Air Patrol and I joined that, my mom had let me join it. And she was really emotional when I did because she knew this is what I always wanted, something I always talked about up to that point. So she was real supportive with it. And yeah, and it really felt it almost felt like the real thing because we have like a, I don't know if you're familiar with the Silver Patrol, but they have like a, a like a mock boot camp that's <laughs> called like encampment. And it's like typically one week long and you're like staying in barracks, you're waking up, you know, doing PT, marching out formation. You know, it's just so cool. It's like such like the real life experience of what real basic training is like. Yeah. So, but yeah, and it's also they give you the, the opportunity to do search and rescue missions and to fly different to learn how to fly Cessnas. Uh, they also go to Oshkosh, like the the biggest air show in the country, and they they volunteer yeah. there and they work there and stuff. So yeah, the Silver Air Patrol is, is definitely like the avenue for anyone. Like if anyone's interested in military service or aviation or being in the Air Force or Space Force now, that's the that's definitely like the way to start. Yeah, one of my childhood friends growing up, he was. And cap and now he's uh flying uh with the air force oh nice so you know he got a lot of he got a lot of good starts that they can you get the foot in the door that way i was never in cap i, I considered joining it a couple times but i never did did you grow up out here in idaho yeah i was born and raised oh. out here and there's a chapter at, there's a chapter at nampa <laughs> nampa municipal airport and i never i you know i was been told about and all that i kind of wish i did you know i could maybe could help me get go to the military aviation side of things and all that and i, I never did unfortunately i was gonna say because the idaho uh civil air patrol like overall like they are like one of the most busiest of like all all the 50 states because yeah, they do assisting with i believe the guys at mountain home they help do sar which is search and rescue mm -hmm. and a lot of other stuff around the state and yeah i mean i, I you know i never did but looking back on it, i can't change it now and you know hopefully i can take my my tests and all that and go that route that i can right now yeah so mainly with cap for you that's why you picked the air force then. um that and because i realized i didn't want to be stuck on a boat for six <laughs> to 18 months at a time <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound too pleasant. Because leading up to leading up to joining the Silver Air Patrol, um, I was probably about like maybe 17, 16, 17 when I did. Um, but leading up to it, you know, there were video games like Ace Combat that were out. Oh, I played those all the time yeah, too. So I was, and then you know, the missions land on an aircraft carrier and get to experience flying like the F 18s, the F 14s, and you know the yeah. different carrier based versus land based aircraft and stuff and and then you come and then after you talk to you start talking to people who do it for real and they're like yeah but you'll be stuck on a boat for 12 months you'll be stuck under you know sleep under the deck of the ship which some people can do it and like hey kudos to all my fellow navy veterans and active duty and guard and reserve navy members all over the world and marines but that's just not for me. <laughs> I like to be able to go home at night and, you know, stretch out. I got, cause I'll get stir crazy. I'll get, I'll go crazy and go man overboard. So I just have to go <laughs> for a swim or something. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So when you enlisted, why did you pick crew chief? What made you, made you do that? Or how, or did they make you do it or, or how'd that go? 
funny story about being in a crew chief. Not really funny. As time got closer and closer for me to, to like what's called DEPIN, which is delayed entry program, it's pretty much you, you can kind of join your junior year. It's kind of just uh, securing your spot in the future. And at that point, you can also like if you change your mind, you can also, you know, back out of it then. But it's pretty much just securing your spot and securing the, the job that you want. So when I originally joined, yeah. I really want like a, a flying AFSC or what's that's an Air Force Specialty Code. Uh, which in translation, it's kind of, kind of like how the Army has like their MOS, the Air Force's AFSC. Um, so I originally wanted an AFSC that was something flying. And they had told me I failed my depth perception test, even though I know I have great depth perception. <laughs> like I've had depth perception like all like 18 years up until yeah. that point. But they said I had failed it and they didn't have any slots for the original job I wanted, which was Loadmaster. Like I had my heart set on becoming a C-17 or a C-5 Loadmaster, traveling the world, kicking cargo and people out the back. <laughs> You know, sitting, like, I don't know if you see these cool videos on, on Instagram now, but there's <laughs> so many videos of people just, you know, they're doing like low level flights with the ramp down, legs just kicked out, the feet over the ramp. You know, it's just, this is like what I always dreamed that my life was going to be like. Um, yeah. but they didn't even, that AFSC wasn't really available as well. So I was just like, well, mm, mm, looking at the list and I was like, I guess I'll do that one. It's a fire protection. <laughs> So originally I had signed up to become a fireman, <laughs> but as you know, as I don't know, it was like after like a week or two, I went to my recruiter and I was like, man, I don't, is there anything I could trade for? He was like, yeah, there's a couple of different other jobs. If you don't want it, you can trade and we'll get you a different one. And I was like, all right. And he gave me a list and he was like, well, you could do tactical aircraft maintenance. I was like, oh, what's that? It's like pretty much being a crew chief. What I did working on the jets. And the thing about recruiters is it's not that they lie. They just don't tell the whole truth. <laughs> So me being the person I am, loving jets, because every time like I would see jets, hear the F-16s flying over from the, the D.C. National Guard, every time I would hear them flying over my house, I would always get excited, run to the window and like look at them. And uh, so I was like, you know, I guess I'll do uh, aircraft maintenance. And he was like, well, do you want heavies or, or fighters? And at first I was going to go heavies. So I was like, cool, I can still be around the C-17, you know, but I didn't know about having a, being a flying crew chief. I didn't know that that was a thing. I just thought you'd just always be on the ground with it and take care of it from there. But I was like, yeah, I'll do tactical. Jets are cooler. They're faster. They're more badass. And yeah, so he was able to switch my, get my job switched up. And then that's how I actually became a, a crew chief. So uh, just talk us through what a crew chief is for the people that don't know. Um, what, what is a crew chief? So a crew chief, well, the legal term of it is tactical aircraft maintenance apprentice. In short, it's called a crew chief. Uh, the crew chief is the person that I would say we own the jet. Like the jet is ours. We give the pilot the keys to it and they bring it back to daddy <laughs> or mommy. <laughs> Yeah. So they bring it back to us and we uh we pretty much we pretty much uh maintain the jet. We overall management of it. I'm trying to I don't know, it's been so long since I've actually like yeah. digested and had to like talk talk about like what crew chiefing is. Yeah. But essentially though the crew chief is just the person
person, you know, the, the mechanic of the aircraft, like, cause they're different specialists. Like you have your avionics specialists, you have your mm -hmm. weapon specialists, a fuel specialist, structure specialist, but the crew chief, the tactical aircraft maintenance apprentice, they're pretty much like a jack of all trades that, yeah. um, you know, supervises pretty much overall all maintenance that's happening on the aircraft. Like we're not avi aviation specialists, we're not weapon specialists, but we are secondary power specialists and we are a uh, overall like structure like pretty much like the secondary power units so everything that makes the jet run um from making sure the jet's clean to making sure all inspections and all the paperwork is checked off and taken care of uh, accordingly uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah it's just it's a dirty job i mean it's long hours i mean the jet is yours it's your baby it's like you know you think you just your car I mean, well, I guess the car is a horrible comparison, <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty much just your, it's your jet and you got to make sure she's up in tip top shape. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. But yeah, crew chiefing is, uh, it's hard work. It's long days. It's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of hydro fluid because you, 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 you play with the hydraulics, you play with the oils. Yeah. It's a dirty job and it's long days, long nights away from home. And it's, it's cool because like you think it's like a nine to five. It's like, how do you go to work as a crew chief? You know, you show up to the office, you get a, get a briefing about the daily task, about which jets are on the flying schedule. And then you're assigned, even though you have a jet that you're assigned to that has your name on it. Um, you'll also get, you know, if that jet's not flying, if there's no maintenance need to be done, you'll be assigned to another aircraft for the day. And that's the jet that when the pilots come out, you're going to be launching it out. With. So when you went through basic then to go through your tech school and all that and learn the f-15e specifically then you arrived at mountain hull right yeah so what year did you arrive at mountain hull i got to good old beautiful scenic <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i got to mountain home uh -huh. in march 2011 and and actually um it wasn't really specific well i guess it was specifically the E model we were trained on, but through tech school, we're trained on the C model as well, though. Interesting. So it starts out like with the, well, what's called a cold training or cold school, not cold school, what's it called? Um, commons and fundamentals. Man, that was such a good time. Uh, Shepherd Air Force Base, they have uh, different like abbreviations and mm -hmm. names for the, the, the phases of training. But yeah, the initial training, uh, the first phase of it is at Shepherd Air Force Base. Um, that's when we're actually trained on like C models and D models, and they even have a couple of B models sitting around. Wow. Um, I haven't been there in a while and I haven't heard of them moving E, uh, e model down there yet. Yeah, they have a uh, C and D models that you actually train on and work on for a couple months. And then once you graduate there from a uh, Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas, you'll move on. If you're on E models, you move on to Seymour Johnson in North Carolina. Okay. And then that's where you'll uh, work around, get to actually see a live E-model and work with uh, various training squadrons, uh, learning how to do the launch and recovery of the aircraft. Yeah. And doing a little bit more like in-depth training about like the secondary power systems because the, the C-models and E-models have like different, uh, slightly different avionics, uh, definitely bigger landing gear and a lot more stuff crammed into them. And <laughs> mm -hmm. tiny, in a tiny space. So what did you prefer more to so you preferred the Strike Eagle or the Legacy Eagle more? I, I really wish I could have had a chance to work on the Legacy Eagle because we, we were deployed with, well, I guess we could talk about that during a deployment, but we were deployed with a, uh, a fellow uh, C-Model squadron. And it was cool, okay. like, actually being able to walk over and actually get to, you know, get a tour of them and see how, like, different it is. Like, 
having the conformal fuel tanks, the CFTs uh, on the aircraft versus not having the CFTs on them, how much more space you have to get around. <laughs> yeah. And it's really also cool just seeing like the, the legacy like Eagle Claw, yeah. like the Eagle Claw that holds like the AIM-120s on the uh, fuselage. Oh, wow. You know, they don't really have those on the uh, E-models because the along the, the fuselage and the, the side of the fuselage, the CFTs have the, uh, the bomb racks on them. Mm-hmm. Which you know can be converted, and they can be converted to hold you know AIM 120s as well on the the side of the fuselage. For most part, though, they usually don't use them for okay. that. So yeah, just seeing the eagle, the legendary eagle claw and stuff, and just yeah. being around it is just beautiful. Yeah. I, I bet. All right, so you were at the mountain home in 2011. Yeah. And then you was, deployed. Well, let me tell you this, too. In 2011, I yeah. got to mountain home. It was nighttime. I arrived at oh, Boise. Shit. It was night. I was driving out. We were driving out to the base along I-84. You can't see nothing. I really thought it was going to be like mountainous. I thought it was going to be some trees. I thought it was going to be something, Colin. <laughs> Give me something. No. I got to the base, uh, like we got to town. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool little town, whatever. And then we we're driving out another 10 miles in the darkness. Yeah. And then there's the base. <laughs> and then getting, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of nowhere and I get some, and we find the dorms. Like we got lost trying to find the dorms. I find my dorm. I get there. And the next morning, there's like two feet of snow. <laughs> this is my introduction yeah. to Idaho. I just. Washington DC where it was 70 degrees and raining. <laughs> it is snow is too it was no snow the night before. This was a setup. I had to walk through this crap to the hangar my first day of work. It was oh, welcome to Idaho. <laughs> oh dude. So, yeah. Yep. yep, that was a rude awakening, wasn't it? Yeah, it was cold. They don't give you cold weather gear out of basic training. They just give like a little parka. You have a parka with a, a liner. <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> oh shit uh, it was oh man yeah yeah welcome at least the mounds are in the distance you know yeah the distance you know how long it takes to get to the distance <laughs> they should rename we're starting a petition we're gonna rename mountain home air force base to hill air force base and rename hill air force base to mountain home air force base because they got a big <laughs> hole right next do, to yeah. their runway so yeah they got the the wasatch a couple miles away and the mountains of Rockies by Mountain Home are at least about 50. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, right, so, yeah. So, sorry about I didn't mean to get off tan- going no, a tangent dude. right there, but yeah. No, man. Go. You're good. <laughs> All right. So, after your rude awakening in 2011, uh, you were with the 391st Fighter Squadron, the Bull Tigers, mm-hmm. and then you guys deployed. Yeah. So, um, talk us through that. And honestly, I wasn't even expecting it. They said we weren't going at first. <laughs> They they just sent like a a few people at first and they were like, you know, we we might, you know, things ain't looking, things looking really calm. Um, But then I guess uh, things escalated and they were like, all right, who wants to go? And everybody put their hand up. We're like, all right, we'll pack your bags. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting feeling though. Cause I mean, you, you hear the word deployment and you automatically think war, bombs, mayhem honestly it felt more like a tdy bro <laughs> really? really really laid back like like my mom she came out to visit I and mean, one well, of my best friends came to visit too uh before i went out and i thought i actually think the days leading up to it were kind of bs because it took us four days it took us three days to leave <laughs> 
I just say it was BS. Not not deploying and fighting for the country is BS, folks. No. I mean, BS as in waking up at 4.45 in the morning, dragging these 10-pound bags, <laughs> putting them in your down the stairs, putting them in your car, driving to the PAX terminal, and then sitting there for two and a half hours. And they're like, oh, wait, we're going to uh, go home. We'll try again tomorrow. You know? <laughs> oh. It's like, well, I guess I got the rest of my day. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, but overall, like once I got there, though, I was like, godly is hot. <laughs> that was so the wait, only so thing like I... in a six month span you went from two feet of snow to like this is horrible and now you're in a very hot i was just getting going, comfortable is... in idaho <laughs> 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 so i got to idaho march 2011 uh so yeah from march so it was like about a year about a year yeah. until we actually deployed so that whole year uh, getting acclimated in Idaho, getting used to things. Yeah, I was really comfortable because it was like we were snowboarding. We were uh, like, I don't know, just every weekend, me and my friends were going out to the clubs and to the bars and uh, just having little hotel parties and just had so many friends in Boise. And yeah, it was like, mm -hmm. and plus we were young. I was like 20. <laughs> yeah. So it really felt like, uh, yeah, I was, I was in a prime of my life to, you know, actually having to go to work. And yeah, mm. once we uh, touched down in Southwest Asia uh, and they opened that door, I felt the humidity and I was like, this is not DC humidity because DC is humid as, as ever. Like, because yeah. DC is kind of on top of a swamp and it's yeah, ugh, horrible over there. But over in Southwest Asia, man, oh boy, man, them doors, they opened the doors on the Boeing 777 we were on and everyone felt it. Like, and you couldn't take off your tops. Oh. You had to walk around with the sleeves down on your uh, on your ABUs. So I was just like, man, I hate it here. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, deploying, getting get to the deployment, it was all right though. I mean, of course, like anything in life, um, just like leaving, just like when you're 18, 19 years old and you leave home to go to basic training. You know, it's just now you're leaving home again. This time you're going to actually do what you signed up to do, which is go serve your nation. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a surreal feeling. And it's, you know, you just have to adapt and overcome and just got to get used to things and fall into a routine outside of work. But over there, man, we worked uh, like a, a work schedule is like six days on, uh, one day off and about 12 hours. And it's about 12 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, people over there. So, I mean, I'm sure like right now that just put things into perspective to everyone over there listening who knows a crew chief that's deployed, who knows a fire squadron unit that's deployed. There are crew chiefs out there that, are, you know, someone's on their 12th hour of work, maybe 13th hour, turning wrenches, making sure that jet's ready to go for the next sort. Yeah. Damn, but yeah, that's that's nuts. Yeah, but they they do have you know some recreation. There's recreation over there though. Like we had a pool. <laughs> We're the air. We that's are nice. the air force. We have swim. We had a swimming <laughs> pool. We had two bars. We had a, a a tent that had like wing Wednesdays, and they would have like about four or five. No, they had like six or seven different flavors of wings, and they were only like you know like fifty cents a piece or twenty five cents a piece or something. Um, and every. And every Sunday we will get a uh, steak and lobster or steak and shrimp. Oh, that's yeah, nice. so <laughs> so it wasn't. It wasn't too. No, nah, it wasn't too bad, and it wasn't really like a super hostile zone either. You know, we weren't really in like a direct line of fire of anyone. So you know, it was it was cool. I mean, yeah. we had, and but 
but you will still be reminded though that going to work like when because we we had tent city though so waking up in tent city mm-hmm. and walking past the bunkers like just seeing those bunkers just being reminded that yeah this is still a deployment and like you know at a moment's notice you will be ho- you could be hovering in this bunker hunkered in with your fellow airmen survive the attack and then getting back out there and returning hell so doing what we came here to do yeah no for sure uh, yeah it was cool though um because me being an aviation enthusiast like i said i went to i went to a lot of air shows growing up i was in the silver air patrol i loved airplanes man i loved ace combat and being over in southwest asia man we saw f5 well we had our f15s we had the c models over there we saw some 22s we had uh there were some apaches over there and then the host nation wow. for where we were at, they had Rafals, and I've never seen a Rafal up close before. Um, so seeing those guys, um, then they also had your, wow. they had hella Eurofighter, um, uh, not your, yeah, they had Eurofighter 2000, the EF 2000, the Typhoons. They had, uh, the MIG two, yeah. the MIG, yep. what's the, the Delta Wing MIG, um, MIG 21? No, not the 21. That one's ugly. Um, <laughs> it was a different MIG. It was like a MIG 2000. It was called something. Mirage 2000? The Mirage 2000, that yeah. one. Yeah, that ugly, some, that weird looking thing. <laughs> they had a lot of those over there taken off, but yeah, so seeing, just seeing all these different cool jets that I've only seen in video games, you know, and seen on TV, actually seeing them up close in person, it was really exciting. And they also had, uh, the F, have you ever seen an F 16 with conformable fuel tanks? I have not. Like, yeah, I think they're called like the, was it Block 60 F 16 yeah, or something some, like that? Yeah, uh, something like that. Block 60, Block 65. Yeah, but yeah, those are so cool looking like in real time, but it's also like, how the hell does the weight not break the, the wings? You know, because it's fuel tanks. That's yeah. fuel in there. That's weight pushing down on top of the aircraft. But yeah, it's still like such an agile fighter. <laughs> That's Interesting. Like, yeah, so. Yeah, so they had a lot of cool, a lot of cool things over there. And I even seen, uh, we also saw, we had, there's like a flying Dorito. I don't oh. know. And I still don't know what kind of drone it was to this day. It was like yeah. stuff, something out the X-Files, bro. And even when I walked up to like the hangar, it was kind of in, I wasn't going to go in the hangar. I was just walking up to the guy standing in front of it. Cause I was like, Hey bro, what's, um, you know, what? Cause I have like my, my line badge. We all have, you know, top secret clearances yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, and I was like walking to the guy and I was like, hey man, what is that? And he was like, what's what? I'm like, are you playing with me right now? Like, what, what is, like, what's the name of that aircraft? And he's like, I don't know what aircraft you're talking about. Like, bro, there is a drone shaped like a Dorito chip behind you. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. But yeah, you can move on. I'm like, I can move on. I can, move- all right, bro. No, I'm not even going to get into it. Um, yeah. But I was like, well, can't at least ask where you're from. He was like, "Uh, well, we're stationed out uh Crete. Uh, what's what's the other base in Nevada? Uh, Crete, Crete yeah. Air Force Base. Yeah, Crete Air Force. Well, base. you mean there's there's Crete and then there's Nellis and then there's another one, but well, there's Air One and all the Green yeah. Lake. But now he he said he's from Crete, and I was like, I did a little research, and you know, Crete is where they have like the drone units at. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, they got some cool top secret stuff over there. Oh, and there were U2s and uh, AWACS and the A uh, the E4 Global Hawk. Not the E4, was it? Oh, the RQ RQ4 RQ4 Global Hawks. Yeah, those are real badass looking too. Yeah, 
They're cool. Yeah, so they're just Cute little U U two wings. Yeah, so I mean, some if you're someone that's an aviation enthusiast and you do deployments to do certain circumstances, you know, you gotta find ways to keep your mind off things, and you know, just being around all these different aircraft and stuff is definitely a a great way to kind of take your mind out of where you're at and kind of yeah. bring yourself to some peace over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was, was cool though. Yeah, no, absolutely. And have you ever, have you ever seen the uh, Eagles do uh, like a low break cross or anything? I don't think I, I might have, but I'm not entirely too sure if I have. It's kind of like a tactical approach, but um, they kind of. I think I have then. Yeah, they kind of did it over Gowan when they did the uh, air show at Gowan Field when the strike Eagles Eagles came in. Came in oh, real low and fast. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like buzzed the crowd like two by two. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine a strike eagle, two strike eagles doing that, but except for less restrictions and a lot louder and a lot faster. Like they did that, man. They came in like Tom Cruise and Top Gun, bro. Like nobody knew it was coming. <laughs> I was just standing there working on my jet. Well, my, I just recovered my jet. Uh, I was just doing a walk around with the pilot. Um, and I just happened to like walk from under the overhang and look up you don't even hear it coming you don't see you don't hear them coming you just see two little black dots right over the runway about maybe you know 700 feet off the deck side by side <laughs> boom and then they then you see them like both just bank off into you know to the pattern and stuff to land and it's like what the fuck are we under attack like what's going on like <laughs> you can bleep out the what the f but yeah yeah. But I mean, it really like gets you excited and then everyone just like looks at each other and everyone just like, yeah, woo, America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, just and seeing like th those are really rare, rare for them to do over the base. But when they do, man, it is definitely like they wake up, every, they wake up, every, yeah, gets the blood going. It's like, yeah, that's what we're here for, you know, air power. I mean, fly, fight, win. Well, that was the model. They keep changing it. I don't know what the model is now. But yeah, whatever the model is, go. <laughs> Air power. But that's yeah. cool, man. That's ah, man, that'd be insane to see, yeah. especially like in like you know in a combat setting like that where they're allowed to do that, not a civilian air uh, where there's they, restrictions and all that. Yeah, and they got in trouble for it though. <laughs> oh, I, I, mean, I know the pilots that did it. Like after they landed, so I, I got really cool with the pilots there because um, aviation. I mean, not aviation maintenance and pilots, they don't really hang out a lot. Um, but outside of work, I mean, you, like I said, you got to keep yourself busy. So I hung out with the pilots a lot outside of work, just hearing their stories, uh, hearing about, you know, where they come from and yeah. just, you know, the different missions they've been on, the different deployments they've had. Because um, like I said, I'll, I originally wanted to be a pilot. And stuff. Yeah. But also while I was there, I, you know, I'm a photographer too. And yeah, so let's, yeah, let's kind of, let's kind of talk about that. So being a photographer and all that, were you allowed to take photos on your deployment base or any of the bases that you potentially visited on your deployment? So you're not really allowed to take pictures on the flight line unless you have a special pass and clearance from the public affairs unit. Yeah. Um, but me being the photographer I am, I, um, you know, I found the public affairs unit and the first thing I asked them was, Hey, what's it like being a, a air force photographer and can I hang out with you guys sometime? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, I expressed it, expressed to them like, yeah, I'm a crew chief. Uh, you know, but I love photography and I showed them my camera and stuff I had. And I had a Nikon D5100 at the time. Um, and they were shooting with Nikon. So they were like, let me play with like the different wide angle lenses 
lenses, the different fixed lenses, the big like 400 to 700 millimeter lenses they oh, had, wow. the telephoto lenses. Um, and they even let me use a different body. They ran out a different, a few different body cameras to like the big like Nikon D9, not 90, but the D like 500, oh, like wow. the big ones, the big external battery packs under them. Yeah. yeah, like those big boys, like they were lending these out to me and let me take them to work and take them around base and, you know, not just even shooting a flight line, but even shooting like different, like they had basketball tournaments. We had like a boxing tournament. Uh, we had like a hot dog, yeah, hot dog eating contest. <laughs> <laughs> like very, like so many various different morale, you know, little different morale events around yeah. the base uh, that they would let me document and photograph. So that was like a really unique experience, like being deployed. Like, you know, I'm working here. I am working six days a week as a crew chief, you know, 12 hours a day. There's still, I'm still like a lot of the time to follow some of my passion and take pictures. And, and I actually got some of my photos published. Not got, I, I had some of my photos published by the, uh, public affairs unit because they had like a, oh, wow. a weekly press or a weekly, uh, you know, like a weekly uh, newsletter. And yeah. uh, my photo actually made the cover photo for it from one of the uh, basketball no tournaments. Way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and even when my when my flight chief saw it, like you know, my flight chief saw it, he was like, "Davis, your photos on the uh, your photos on the the cover." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He showed him, like the the photo, the caption, like the the photo credit at the on the caption. I'm like, "Whoa, sh hey, that's me." <laughs> you know, and a lot of yeah. so a lot of people in my unit saw it. Um, you know, just knowing that my photo was seen base wide, and this base is huge. Like, there's thousands of people on this base with us, and they all get this. Yeah. Everyone gets the same monthly newsletter. Um, and yeah, so I was like, it was a really like proud moment for me. And that's how I kind of, you know, fell into love with, with, uh, well, that's why I almost fell into love with, uh, military photography and I almost cross-trained to public affairs after that. Okay. Wow. But I also almost caught cross-trained into being a loadmaster and also into, uh, <laughs> flight attendant too. That was also <laughs> one of my other options. Really? <laughs> Yeah. And when I was over there too, I also met some combat camera guys and, oh, um, oh. my jet was featured by combat camera as like the background jet for, uh, some photos for the pilots as they came in. Like they were doing like some, I don't know what the, I forgot exactly what the photos were for, but they just took pictures of the, of the pilots with my jet in the background and had me yeah. out there with it. And I got some cool shots from the guy and was able to also talk to him like about the differences of combat camera versus public affairs. And yeah, kudos to anyone in all branches of service that's a combat cameraman because they are out there with not just a Nikon and a Sony camera and like, you know, some telephoto lenses, but they're also out there with an M16 or M4 and some battle rattle too, fighting back wow. the enemy. Like it is like, imagine having to shoot and shoot. <laughs> like it is oh man it is nice. crazy like and that's what he told me was like if you want to do this part of it where you'll get to fly you'll fly in the backseat of jets you'll travel you'll jump out of planes but you're also going to have to fight yeah and it's like ugh, you know and then stomach start turning you know start getting knots in your stomach like i don't know if i want all that yeah but you know someone someone is out there right now in the, fl in the front line is doing it so yeah and kudos to them no, seriously though, that's that takes that takes some nuts to do. Oh yeah, all all branches of service, all of the. Absolutely, I agree, and thank you all of them for your service and doing all that. That's something that I wouldn't be able to do, and we're we're fortunate enough that you guys answered a call to do that. Yeah, so we don't have to like you know exactly. force people to do it again. But yeah, yeah I have, I do have um, 
we did do like a, some squadron photos uh, at the conclusion of our deployment where we put the jets together in like a, a pyramid, you know, kind of like like a triangle formation of them, towed them together and parked them that way. And then we did pictures with like the crew chiefs, uh, like not crew chiefs, the pictures of all of the uh, maintenance. And we also did pictures with some of the uh, pilots and stuff. And I was able to get out there with my camera and capture some of those. And I still have them to this day. Oh, cool. Um, and I actually have one of them actually printed right now. It's kind of dusty. It's kind of wrapped in, it feels wrapped in plastic. But yeah. yeah, I can definitely bring it over to you and show it to you sometime. No, for sure, man. I'd love to see it. Nice. You should, when we drop this episode, you should post it when we uh, drop the episode. Definitely. But yeah, so it was cool being, uh, you know, yeah, having my camera out. Um, I can't, like I said, I couldn't take it everywhere. And I couldn't, yeah. like, even stateside, I didn't really take my camera out on the flight line with me to Mountain Home. Yeah. But, but over, but deployed though, yeah, they were, I don't know, it seemed a little bit more lenient, but more strict. But I guess it's just because of the people I met, the, the, the relationships I was able to build, I guess, with the public affairs units over yeah. there just made it so easy for me to, you know, just don't really need much authorization. Like people were trying to challenge me on it. They're like, well, you can't have this. You can't, hey, well, look at this paper signed by who, who, what does that say? Colonel who? Oh, I'll talk. Okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> with all due respect. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Good times over there. It was, like I said, it was hot. It was dirty. It was also like such a, a unique and I'm, I'm really grateful for the experience just to be able to have, be able to say that I'm one of the, uh, you know, they say like only like not even 25% of the U.S. population volunteers to, to join the military, you know, so. Just be able to say that I not only joined and served my country, but I had a chance to go overseas and, you know, do my part, yeah, <clears throat> I feel like. Absolutely, man. And thank you for your service. And thank you to all those Tigers um, back during when you were with them for their service as well. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and we did lose one of our pilots over there, too, though. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Captain Emily. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was some really freak like, accident. But honestly, he sacrificed himself to save his Wizzo, though. Yeah. Because it, I don't know. Did you ever hear about that? And no, the I, I have. Tiger that went down. Yeah. That, um, I'm pretty sure yeah, I can talk about it. Yeah, if you want. I mean, that's just something that also put in pers into perspective because I uh, did, I didn't launch his jet out prior to deployment stateside, but the pilots did come out to the jets and they did like a couple of different pre-flight checks and different like sat link checks and stuff. And I was mm -hmm. working with them during that for that to be one of our last like, you know, engagements with each other. Uh, kind of, it's kind of like unfortunate and really, really a little yeah. sad. But honestly, he sat like his sacrifice, you know, puts into perspective uh, a lot of things. Um, but what had happened was they were flying over the desert and it was nighttime. It was a nighttime sortie. So, and over there in the desert, there's no light. There's no yeah. street lights. There's no, uh, city lights. There's no, then there was no moonlight either. During this little sortie that they were on, it was like a training sortie too. It wasn't even like combat related. Yeah. Um, but during the sortie, they had experienced the engine fire. But when the, the fire had, but the fire had happened in the section of the engine where once they hit the, the bottle, the, it, the jets have fire extinguishers built in, but it's only one bottle. And it can either go one of three ways, either to the left engine, to the right engine, or to the center in between both. Or in the center will mainly hit like all the uh, secondary power units and everything in between. Yeah. Um, but the engine has started, if I remember right, it has started in the right engine. The fire started in the right engine and they had deployed the fire bottle. But once they had deployed it, the fire had already spread to the left engine. So it did them no good. Uh, well, it, did, it didn't do them no, no, no good, but yeah, it was already kind of too late. 
um, by that time. And then once that happened, you know, the pilot, you know, they started losing control because they lost power. They were able to punch out. Well, they were able to blow the canopy, but by blowing the canopy, though, the aircraft has started barrel rolling, not barrel, aileron rolling uncontrollably. But yeah. Captain Emily was able to hold the aircraft straight enough so the Wizzo could punch out to get up straight. Um, yeah. But when it was Captain Emily's time to punch out, unfortunately, uh, the aircraft was upside down. So when it was his time to punch out and the aircraft was in the uncontrollable like aileron roll, I guess we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, when he punched out, he went uh, towards the earth and he was unfortunately decapitated. Oh, no. Uh, upon his exit upon his you know his punch yeah. out so but again though his sacrifice saved another life though and it was yeah, like a, it was that, a yeah. really tra- it was a real tragic loss um to the to the tiger community and to the you know the air force as a whole to who was a great man like him absolutely oh, yeah long live captain emily 443 was his tiger number so yeah we have a i have a, a tiger patch that says like 443 on it yeah. and, that's cool yeah then it's also because of that you know and i'm not saying you know he had to die for for great things to happen what i'm saying is though if it wasn't for that it wouldn't have bought maintainers and because it yaks you can ask any pilot in the any unit or ask any crew chief any any other unit pilot like i said earlier maintenance and pilots they don't really mingle they don't really talk much mm-hmm. but you know and it was due to unfortunate circumstances but due to that though we were able to kind of come together a little bit during the, those times and actually get to know one another a little bit. yeah and, you know kind of seeing like a, a unique bond happening that you know most of them don't see yeah i mean something tragic like that brought you guys together mm-hmm. yeah but yeah all in all though i don't regret anything i've experienced and i would if you if i would if I could do it again, deploying over there, yeah, I would do it again. Cool, man. So if you could redeploy, besides being a Strike Eagle crew chief, what other crew chief would you want to be on? Honestly, <laughs> being a crew chief is a lot of hard work. It takes a special person to to make a career out of this job. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could do it all again, uh, if I didn't have a choice, of course, I, and I had to be a crew chief, I don't know, I might go... I don't know. I would say the F-22. I love the Raptor, but they can't sit out in the sun too long. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that was a long time ago, but maybe things are different now in year 2020 with them. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if I had to work on a supercomputer, but fried, if it, sit out on a computer, if sit out in the sun too long, it fries. I don't know. It's Ugh. not a little fragile. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Yeah, probably F-22, though. Mainly minus it being a little uh being fragile uh it's really cool how you know the maintainers can easily just plug a computer into it i mean of course they still have to do, like the the walk around and you have to manually check things on aircraft yeah. um but for some of the tasks though you can plug in a, com- a computer to the jet and the jet can tell you like what's wrong and it does like you know have like different diagnostic uh different diagnostic softwares like that so I can only imagine how the F-35 is as well. Like I'm pretty sure it's a pain yeah. in the. I'm pretty sure it's like a, a pain in the in the knees for the F-35 because you know it's a supercomputer jet. If, you know these yeah. 15 fires are all just supercomputers and it's a lot of like bugs that they got to work out. So I'm sure it's a headache yeah. on, on that in that aspect. But I'm pretty sure also it's like really cool when you just your jet comes back, you plug in the computer and it says, oh well check hydraulic. Uh, this hydraulic pump 
is you know given poor performance or you know check the apu or you know you can just go straight to the issue yeah. and diagnose it and diagnose it and fix yeah. it instead of spending you know more time like 10 hours doing a walk around inspection yeah you just plug the computer in and tells you what you need to, what you need to get yeah. done but if i had my choice i would redeploy i would rejoin the air force i would be a load master uh, on the c-17 based out of hickam air force base hawaii those guys go to yeah, all the coolest places. Hawaii. They they get they're on the island. It's always warm. It's tropical. <laughs> yeah, but even yeah, but yeah, the C seventeen is just such a a fascinating aircraft to me. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. And I had a chance to fly on one in the Civil Air Patrol too for like an orientation flight. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's like I've actually got to fly on one as oh, well. Oh yeah, so you real so you see how like nimble they are and how agile they are for being a, a cargo aircraft. Like it flies almost like a jet. It does. We had a CS-17 come in here a couple days ago before I recorded this podcast, and he came in on the, on the overhead and then broke it like a fighter. Dang. And this, it's just insane to see how maneuverable these aircraft are. But yeah, man, the CS-17, I got to go up in an Emirati one. Uh, I got media for Mobility Guardian. We got to go up in an Emirati one and be part of the airdrop. Like, literally, we dropped a whole 40 pallets or so of cargo out the rear. Oh, man. And I, yeah, I got videos on my Instagram, so you guys can go check oh, that yeah, out definitely. on my Instagram. But man, it was the coolest experience of my life what, ever. I mean, where I did never, you go? Like, where were you guys at during? We were at Fair, Fairchild Air Force oh, in Base Washington. For uh, nice. yeah, so we went up there for Mobility Guardian Media Day, and we got the whole shebang, got the whole tour, we got the whole briefing, and then the the, the colonel comes in and says, "Hey, this is our flight plan today." We're gonna be Avatar, Avatar two two, and we had the uh, an Aussie C seventeen, and I believe a NATO C seventeen, and the Aussie C seventeen had the all the top brass, you know, a lot of um, people from the participating countries and the observation countries mm. to see what was yeah. going on, and we were in an Emirati one, so we all we all thought we were gonna go up in a US C seventeen, but then the whole Emirati team comes in we're going, Oh my gosh, oh, so that's it, this is going to be nuts. a more unique experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, so we get on, we board and we have the whole pallet set up and then we, we go in there and then they start venting the rear of the aircraft and then they drop the gate and all that. And it was just the coolest thing ever being a part of uh, the UAE's first ever airdrop out of one of their C-17s. We actually got to document that. Mm. That was that was probably one of the coolest experiences of my life, just being a civilian and being able to have that fortunate experience of being media for that uh, for that event. But yeah, man. Anyway, tell us a story about your uh, time on deployment. Anything interesting or kind of funny, or you 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 want to share with the audience? <laughs> got to keep it PG, Colin. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now, now, one fun yeah, thing, I, one fun thing I did do with the pilots. Um, I don't know if they still do it. I'm pretty sure they do in the air, in the military. They get uh, challenge coins. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you ever and then in the Air Force, it was always like a thing. If you, it's called a coin check. So if you ever, mm-hmm. you know, plug, you always supposed to have your cha- a challenge coin on you. And if you ever pull it out, you say coin check to your fellow airmen. If they don't have the coin, they owe you a drink. So okay. during my deployment, I was working what's called end of runway duty. And I love EOR. Any crew chief listening, they know what EOR is. They probably love it too. Uh, end of runway duty is 
So prior to when prior to the jets taking off after they taxi out from uh, doing the pre-flight checks, they taxi out to the end of runway. Um, and there's a crew chief. There's like two. There's a crew chief, uh, two crew chiefs, and like two weapon specialists down there. And what we're doing mm-hmm. is going jet by jet, pulling all the last minute safety pins and doing last minute walkthrough inspections, and talking to the pilots to make sure like their armament, their armament is good to go, and make sure that they have no other like issues or defects with the aircraft at all. No, it's just like the, the last minute, you know, once over before they actually take off. So during that time, mm-hmm. though, you know, I got really, like I said, I was really cool with the pilots and stuff. So walk up, uh, they'll plug in, someone will plug in the headset and then I'll talk to the pilots, you know, do a comm check and then, you know, ask them to do the inspection check or whatever. And then I'm like, all right, sir, you got your coin on you? And they were like, what? And I pull out my coin, I'm like coin check. <laughs> and they were like, oh, like in this two. So you got to remember it's a pilot and a whistle to each F-15 to the strike eagle. So yeah. if two people didn't have their coins on them, I got two free drinks. So I was like, all right, bet. <laughs> so I went to the next jet. Hey, coin check. And they were like, oh, damn, DJ, dang it, DJ, you you got us. All right, whatever. We got you later on at the Thirsty Camel. So go down to the next jet and the next jet. And it was like, coin check, coin check. And it was like, oh, oh. Like, so they weren't carrying their coins on them, <laughs> even though they, they, even oh, though they can. So they, so they yeah. weren't. So then I got them. So then after, so after they came back that night, you know, I kind of got a little turned up, you know, had a couple of free drinks, <laughs> but they still, and they still owed yeah. me a couple more too. So, you know, next, so over the next few days, I was just coin checking the pilots every, every time I was working in a runway duty and getting free drinks yeah. from them until one day <laughs> my plan backfired. <laughs> And the thing is about coin checking is if you coin check someone and let's say they do have their coin on them, you owe them a drink. Yeah. So one day I think I'm going to be slick, (laughs) go back out there again on runway duty, coin check. Oh, oh, you thought you got us. Oh, you thought you got us. (laughs) So they, uh, (laughs) so yeah, they just, they coin checked me. They countered my coin check and I was like, all right, whatever. I got y'all. I'll see y'all later. Go to the next jet. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, yo, DJ's here. He got his coin out. Get him. <laughs> they like, and <laughs> as I went down, they're like, oh, he's going to coin check you. And they're like, oh, DJ coin checked us. Oh, counter. You owe us drinks now, DJ. Oh. And then I went down to the next jet. And they just, he just had the coin sitting there on the railing on the canopy, just waiting for me. Like, <laughs> like I was like, all right, y'all got it. You know, I'm not even going to try no more. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was, that was fun. You know, that's a little morale story right there for you. Just yeah, no, that's that's pretty. That's pretty funny, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, not trying to condone alcohol, you know, consumption, but you know, we're yeah. we're allowed a couple of drinks a night over there, and when you get them for free, they yeah. taste so much better at, after working oh, you know, like thirteen day, thirteen hours in a hundred and ten degree heat. Oh yeah. Dude, any free drink at any given point though always great. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, it was cool overall. Um, just not even just my deployment, but just my time in the Air Force overall. Just being around the Strike yeah. Eagle. Cause I've always been one of those kids that like to push buttons. And so yeah. now I have a whole jet where I can sit in the cockpit whenever I want. And I know which buttons I can flip and touch and play around with that aren't gonna do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was <laughs> Yeah, and it was cool. Like even even though we don't have to set switches for like when the pilots are like on their way out to the jet, sometimes I would anyway because I just knew it. Yeah. Just it just felt like you know 
it felt like maybe one day this would be me in here since like you know about to get the jet ready for takeoff and start up and stuff so yeah so yeah and like but it's been yeah. i don't know i've been i got out in 2013 october october 1 2013 is when i uh i got out to just a four four, four yeah year well three and a half the sequestration 20 okay. 2013 hit where everyone was uh, grounded yeah. and they were doing many cuts budget cuts and all that fun stuff like we, we were grounded for like two weeks or so i mean not two wow. weeks sorry we were grounded for like um, two months just show, showing up yeah, to work no, i remember i remember sequestration because there was a the gunfighter skies air show in 2014 2011 was one of the biggest years ever and you might have oh been yeah i was there too i was there yeah that was a that was a the, big big awesome show then 2014 it was just like yeah 2014 was it was like after the sequestration air shows in general kind of went down here like they weren't they as did, exciting yeah. they didn't have as many big feature acts as it used to be growing up for me being yeah. at andrews air force base uh, I would go to air show like every year as a teenager, like once, like from 15, 15 years old, I was on my own <laughs> out there. I mean, I had some friends yeah. I would go with too, and we would see like the, I don't know if you ever heard of the Starfighters. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Starfighters would be there. Uh, we would get the Canadian, we got the Canadian Snowbirds there with the Blue Angels and Thunderbird or Thunderbirds. Um, oh, and even one year with the Starfighters, Canadian Snowbirds, I think the Blue Angels, it was a Blue Angels year. Um, we also had like an army, check this out, an army demo team with Cobra helicopters that were doing, de- oh. yeah, it, and I don't know the, I cannot remember the name of them, but it was, it said there were a U.S. Army demo team that were doing like demonstration and acrobatics with the Cobras. And it said U.S. Army oh, paint, like cool. you gotta like Google this or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to try to Google it right now. <laughs> well, I mean, while you're doing that, let's uh, let's start wrapping this thing up, man. So you're in, you're into photography. Where can we find your work? Oh, at? yeah. So my photography can be found all over Instagram. Um, recently from a, a vigil that they had here in Boise, um, I was there and I photographed them, photographed it, and uh, several of my images were reshared and kind of like, uh kind of went mini viral around like the the treasure valley yeah. for a moment because i got a lot of fan love yeah, from that was really that was really cool to see that but yeah what are your uh, what are your handles so people yeah can, so you uh, check out you. my uh, photography hand my photography uh, on instagram at jetlag.media on that's again wait at jetlag media on instagram and you could also find me on facebook at dj davis photography i've tried updating it to jetlag media since i've gotten an llc but facebook is being funky oh very cool so, and you also right, probably uh, see me at your uh, at an air show near you <laughs> yeah yep hey um gowan thunder oh is that happening 2021 yeah 2021 right. gowan thunder and then gunfighter skies 2020 after Whoa. that <laughs> like, we're in 2020 uh is it are yeah, there any uh, any shows coming up this year no nah, not with everything not with the covid stuff coming oh they canceled all oh yeah well they canceled they canceled hill and i they canceled beale and we don't know about edwards yet and um, you know we'll be trying to get down to edwards for sure though that'll be that'll be the one but we don't know about that one yet anyway man real quick do you have any tips or words of encouragement for any of the listeners out there that may want to become a pilot or just in general right now? I guess words of encouragement and tips. I mean, don't let nobody stop you from doing what you have your heart set on. Like if you feel like you want 
to be flying that B1B you see flying over your house every day, definitely go do it. Like your mom might not understand, dad might understand, your spouse, your girlfriend might not understand, but you understand. I mean, and it's definitely, if it's going to be military service, understand that if anyone's against you doing it, it's mainly because they love you and they just don't want to see you get hurt. They just know everyone does, honestly, all your friends and family probably do respect you for what you're going to try to do. So if you have the, if you have the mindset and you have in your heart that you do want to get into, whether it be military or civilian aviation, don't let nobody stop you. Don't let your peers distract you. Just stay focused and keep your eye on the prize. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be glamorous. Yeah. But once you get through it, hey, you got to go through it to get through it. And once you get there, it's going to be all worth it. Yeah, just stay focused, yeah. stay motivated, stay dedicated. Absolutely. You just said that really well. I'm trying to do that stuff right now. Take my AFOQT and hopefully hopefully someday soon. Your, L- your LMNOP? The, uh, your what? <laughs> the a- I'm taking my, trying to get my AFOQT done. So I can Air Force officer qualification. Oh, test. snap. Uh oh. Yeah, we got Lieutenant, is, Lieutenant CJ coming up. Second <laughs> Lieutenant CJ at your service. <laughs> Hopefully it'll all work out. Um, you know, didn't do ROTC in college and I wasn't able to make it to the academy. It's just kind of my only hope right now. But, you know, it's work hard, work hard and, and just grind it out and pass yeah, the test. Yeah, all that, all that, everything that you're discuss. sacrificing it's going to be worth it in the long haul yeah. and even if it doesn't and one thing i want to tell everyone too even if it doesn't work out because my career in the air force and i thought i was going to do 20 years even if it doesn't work out it ends up being shorter than you think it is than you want it to be it's going to be, everything will be okay and you're still the amazing and awesome person you first started out when you started your adventure so just think just don't think because you were it didn't work out for you and you know, service, you're not there making a, a lifetime out of it doesn't mean life is over for you because there's a million and one of the yeah. things that you'll discover about yourself along the process that you might fall in love with that you might realize you're better at doing anyway. And for that, for me, that was photography. <laughs> I, hey, you said you said it well. You said it pretty well, man. Anyway, DJ, thank you for your time to come on here and talk about your experiences yeah, in 2012. Thank, for, thank you for inviting me, I CJ. Really man. It. it was really cool how we met, too. Me and you out at Gowan when they had yeah. the, the weather Hercules out there. The Na- National Science Foundation, C-130, we're all climbing through it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're also a aviation guy? Yeah, all right, cool. And bam, it just yeah, went from there. But yeah, thanks so, for having me on. Of course, man. I appreciate you coming on and kind of switching things up and talking about something that maybe a lot of people really don't know what it's like being a crew chief and being deployed and stuff like that. And I think you gave them a really good idea of, of what it's like being overseas and uh, doing what you did. Yeah, but yeah guys, that's going to do it for me here on the Aviation Spotters podcast. Uh, as always, send me those profiles of the people that you think should be on the show. Send me an email to avspotterspodcast at gmail.com. Send me a DM on Twitter. Send me a DM on Instagram at BOI Spotter. And uh, DJ, anything else to add? I'm going to tell the people like I always tell my pilots before I sent them out. Rod hard, shoot straight. Always speak the truth. Hell yeah, man. I think that's a good way to end it. And as I always say, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. And we'll see you next time here on the Aviation Spotters Podcast. <laughs>